The UK demolition industry officially returns to work today after a very strange and all-too-short festive break, and returns to find a special gift waiting for it in the shape of a new book by Terry Quornby, the often-outspoken former president of the Institute of Demolition Engineers. Now, on the basis that there's no rest for the wicked, I spoke to Terry about his new book during the Christmas break. I will play that exclusive interview for you in just a second. I'll also come back at the end of this interview with one or two additional thoughts on this superb new book. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. The right cover at a fair price. At Amicus Insurance Solutions, we look after hundreds of contractors and have a team who have helped many demolition contractors for many years. One of our specialists, Shane, has guested on Demolition TV and genuinely loves helping people. We look after some well-known demolition companies and work closely with specialist A-rated insurers to bring you the right cover at very competitive premiums. We take time to understand the methods you use to ensure there are no misinterpretations. For a frank conversation, please call Shane Pace on 0208-773-5384 or email shane.pace at amicus-insurance.com. So I, I guess the first question then, Terry, is is why did you write the book? And, and perhaps more specifically, why did you write it now? I think the main answer is is because um, when I've been with practitioners and friends in the past, um, invariably the talk comes around to, you know, our experiences, what we've done, where we've been, what we've seen, how did we get on with it, you know, what were the gains from it? Um, also, what were the problems and, you know, things like that. Um, and then at the end of 2019, just after my 70th, um, I got to thinking that actually this is probably the right time to, um, to put my record down in writing, if you like, or to put or to put my story in um, in writing, uh, because inevitably I'm in the last throes of my um, uh, of my uh, profession, if you like. So, and then of course, twenty uh, the following year in um, February, uh, it was becoming obvious that things were not going to be the same as they had been the previous year. Uh, and then we got down into lockdown, uh, where I found I had a, a bit of time on my hands because um, I didn't go in the office for five weeks. Uh, and probably just as importantly, uh, I didn't really have a reason not to do it at that stage. So the, the COVID crisis blew some some good after all. Uh, one of the things that really struck me when I read it before it was published and, and subsequently is just the, the the sheer depth of your memory. You know, the, the fact that you can remember mm. so many places and faces and, and and recollections. Do you keep a diary mm. or something, or is that just pure memory? Yeah, um, I've I've noticed over the years that. My short-term memory is pretty bad, but my long-term memory seems to get better uh, as each year goes on. So it's amazing, actually, when you stop and think 
um, about things that, that that have happened in your life, it's quite amazing actually how much really comes back to you, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. One of the things that really astounded me, though, was just the depth of those memories. I mean, you you know, even down to sort of the weather on specific days and, you know, what various people said. That's. A, I mean, I, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So it's, a, it's a remarkable recollection yeah. you've got there. Well, I, I've been lucky in a way that um, my career, if, if you like, has followed a, a, a fairly linear process. Um in that I started one job in a particular year. It's lasted for a certain period of time. And then I've gone, I've moved on to the next one. So, you know, if you take that, as I say, in that linear period, it's quite easy to then determine what year, what month it might have been. You know, I mean, all right, I might not have been absolutely exact in all of my dates, uh, but I think I'm pretty near somewhere anyway. No, absolutely. Yeah, even some of the people in the industry that, that know you best, I think, have been quite surprised by some of the content. The mm. book is brutally honest, isn't it? Which I, I guess most mm. of us would come to come to expect from you anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I can imagine that some people may think that way, but um, but you know, I, I, I did sit and think about what it was I was actually going to say um, and whether I might offend people. Um, but at the end of the day, I thought, if I'm going to tell my story, I need to tell it warts and all. Um, but I will willingly admit, actually, that uh, some of the warts I've left unsaid um, so that I didn't cause offence to anybody. Um, and I hope that I haven't caused offence, actually. But I think also, I think you've got to be honest with yourself. Um, because I think we all realise, don't we, that lies are very easily uncovered. Yeah. I, 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 again, I think one of the things that stood out for me was, and it, it was the, the, the self-honesty, really, that stood out for my various readings of the book. You know, I, I, do, I certainly couldn't see any reason why anyone would be offended. But, you know, you, you were very, very open about some of the things that you got up to in the past, which mm. I, I guess sort of leads on to our next question, because one of the things that, that really makes the book stand out for me is that the apparent contradiction that sort of seems to lie at the, the very heart of the book in the fact that you spent almost your entire life railing against authority in the establishment and that yet you ended up as the head of a recognised institute um, promoting mm. professional development and, and you know, encouraging people to, to assume, uh, to pursue academic pursuits. The mm. two things don't seem to go together, do they? Uh, <laughs> um, it's quite a difficult question to answer, really, but um, I think... You could probably sum it up by saying uh, you can call it growing up, actually. Um, I think if you start, you know, if you're somebody like myself who started from humble beginnings in a place where people didn't have that much to look forward to or, or certainly didn't have a lot of money to do anything with, um, you either tend to go along with the flow and become one of the herd or 
you try to stand out and um, and try to be somebody different than what you may end up being, you know, as everybody else is. Um, I think the one thing in my favour from a very early age, and whether that was because of my uh, lack of family upbringing, if you like, or, or the lack of discipline um, I had from um, from a, a fatherly figure, um, was the fact that I had a, a, a large work ethic. I didn't mind hard work. Uh, and I listened, I watched my peers to see what they did and how they did it. And I just, I tried to emulate them. Um, and, and over the years, I, I, that's the sort of ethos I've had in not being afraid to tackle anything, uh, not being afraid of the mistakes I've made, actually, and I've made quite a lot of mistakes, um, as you can read in the book. Uh, but I think I've learned from them and I've tried not to repeat them. I hope I haven't repeated them um, in later years. Uh, so I, I think that's the basis, really, is, yeah, grow up, you know, have have your time, um, as we all have, I, I, there's no doubt at all. Um, we've all sown our wild oats, if you like. Um, but when it comes time to start accepting that bit of responsibility, then, yeah, I think that's what you've got to do. You know, an age as well is, is a big factor. Um, uh, they always say, don't they, that with age comes wisdom. Um, but what I found is not, perhaps that's true, but what I found is that uh, with age, and particularly if you want to express your opinion, um, the older you become, the more that people tend to listen to what you have to say. Um, and if you're like me, uh, and a little bit outspoken, and you like to give your opinion, uh, then with that comes the additional responsibility as well. And you have to be able to accept that you need to be and act responsible. Given the fact that you just looked at your looked at your own life in a in a very sort of transparent way, if you had the chance to go back and meet your 15, 20 year old self, what advice would you give you? <laughs> oh crikey. Um now there's a thing, that's like watching Back to the Future film, isn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't have done that, you know. Uh, because I did that, you don't do, don't you do that, you know, don't repeat the same mistakes. But you know, that's probably a bit of a nonsense really, isn't it? Because as, I, as I've just stated, um, we all make mistakes. Every single one of us makes a mistake. I've never met anybody yet that has been faultless uh, in whether they've said something or done something. Um, you can always find a fault somewhere in every activity, every action or uh, every, every deed or, or every word that's ever been spoken. But I think the key really is to learn from those mistakes um, and don't repeat them. Now, one of the comments that I saw from one of the very early readers of the book was, we need to get down on paper um, 
the thoughts, experiences, and knowledge of people like yourselves before you retire, and we lose all that wisdom. And, and I know you've you've been banging that drum for quite some time from an academic perspective of getting, particularly with the Institute of Demolition Engineers, getting um, academic papers on on the subject of demolition and, and related things. But even just that personal experience of growing up, you know, we mm. we, we do we are in danger of, of of having a lost generation of knowledge and experience and, and wisdom, aren't we? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that's probably quite true, actually. Um, and I don't think we're the only industry sector, you know, that feels that. I think there's quite another, uh, quite quite a few other sectors that have are experiencing the same problem that we've got, and that is youngsters coming through or wanting to come into the business in the first place. Um, there's a heck of a lot of um, activity in the IT world now, isn't there? You know, and, and although we've had to embrace IT um, in in a, in a lot of the of its guises, uh, we're still very much a hands-on industry, uh, and it's very difficult to get somebody to come along uh, and want to use their hands and also to apply their brains and their logic uh, in in. Uh, solving problems that we, that everyday problems that all of us have on our jobs, um, and as I stated earlier, um, I tended to listen and watch my peers what they did, and I tried to learn from that. Uh, and certainly, when I first started operating heavy plant or any type of plant or or vehicles. Um, we had the opportunity, if we chose to do that, um, you know, our employers were only too happy to see us or, or acknowledge the fact that we, yeah, we wanted to have a go and let, let's try and get that experience and that knowledge. Our problem today, of course, um, is that we've got the workplace regulations and we've also got health and safety law, uh, which put constraints on individuals uh, such as the ones I learned from, actually showing you in the workplace how to do something. Uh, it's so much more difficult today to do that. And so it's more important than ever to set a record or get a record written down. Um, you know, I, I've been asked many times, um, you know, to write a book about my experiences or to present in seminars or presentations uh, up and down the, the country where we've, we've had our meetings um, to get that knowledge out into the ethos, if you like. Um, so, yeah, I think it is important to get things down in writing so that when others come along behind us, they've at least got something that they can use as text because, you know, we are woefully inadequate, aren't we, in our sector about um, getting the written word down uh, for those coming along behind us to use. No, I totally agree. And I, 
it's it's interesting you should mention sort of the health and safety at work act and that kind of thing because when you speak to any of the the current generation of of nfdc members or um, demolition company principals most of them were on and off demolition sites with their fathers or grandfathers at eight nine ten years old that's Absolutely. how they learn and, and everything else and you know I, I certainly wouldn't want to go back to the bad old days but I, it feels that sometimes that we went a bit too far with that and and we've we've lost that ability to to give people that gentle introduction from a very young age um, and as you say if it, if it ends up being in book form or on ipad form or, mm. or computer game form mm. maybe that's something we, we really need to think about yeah and we shouldn't shoot ourselves in the foot either um and i know um that uh, such as the nfdc um do not or frown upon or uh, I, I can't really remember whether it's the written word or not. I think it probably is um, that operators under 21 years of age will not sit, put their bums on a machine on a demolition site. Uh, and yet the transport industry has changed from 21 years old being an HGV driver to 18 now. So I think, you know, Things like that really have to change, don't they? Because 18-year-olds now uh, are much more mature than probably we were when we were 18. Uh, and if you've got somebody uh, of that age, 18-year-olds, that is mature and is capable of operating a machine correctly, efficiently, um, yeah, why not? You know, let's let's get them on. The earlier age, the better. There, I mean, there's a check built in there anyway, isn't there? Because I always think this with, you know, particularly with a, a, a big high reach or something like that, you're not going to throw the keys of a high reach to somebody that's that's fresh out of school. You know, you, you're going to start them off on an old dog machine and, and park them in a corner somewhere and let them knock the rough edges off, aren't you? you know? Oh, Mark, Mark, we don't run old dogs anymore. <laughs> Do you know, I, I would stand up in front of anybody... Um, that operates plants in either the construction industry or the mining or quarrying or the demolition industry. And I would say that in general, the machines that demolition contractors run are far more efficient. They're, uh, they're far more up together than in any other sector. And in general, when we sell our machines on now, our residuals are high as well. Um, so, you know, our industry sector in terms of machine, uh, mechanical plants and, and machinery operation has changed dramatically. I totally agree. Now, I, I guess my final question for now, um, I, I'm sure other people will, will have more questions as, as the book starts to, to land on desks, but... I, I, it really came across that you, you obviously enjoy the, the writing process. Mm. Are you done with the publishing world now, or you got other plans in mind for, <laughs> for future books as well? Well, um, I have been thinking about it, actually. Um, <clears throat> and just on that subject that we were discussing uh, a moment ago, um, I think that there is a requirement for a book on plant and equipment in the demolition industry. You know, I mean, let's face it, from the beginnings of the NFDC after the Second World War, when it became apparent quite quickly that manual labour alone would not be sufficient to tackle 
um, the amount of work that was out there. Uh, and, and then plant and machinery uses came in, uh, albeit in its basic form. Uh, but over the years, you know, um, the machine, the plant and machinery we use has become extremely uh, technical, uh, very innovative, uh, in, not, not just in its use alone, but, but also um, in its manufacture and design. So I think a book um, talking about our plant and our machinery usage um, and the activities that they've been put to and the problems that we've had along the way and we've managed to solve and, uh, you know, something along those lines rather than something that's just looking at a specification of a machine, which is where you can get from any manufacturer, can't you? But what you can't get from the manufacturer is what you can do with that machine, how you can how you can put it to work, and what benefits there are from using that particular piece of plant. You know, I think that's something that would probably interest people of uh, heavy machinery. It's interesting you should go back to heavy machinery because one of the standout parts of the book, from my point, from my perspective, was you you kind of experienced a mini industrial revolution. There's a, there's a very interesting part in the book where you're talking about the first time you saw a you know a proper as we consider it now a proper hydraulic excavator on a job, and and you yeah. said in, in the book you saw yeah. from from that very moment, yeah, yeah this is the way we're going. Absolutely, yeah. When we had that Cat 245 turn up, nobody had, nobody in our industry that I'm aware of at that moment in time had ever seen a 50-ton excavator on a demolition job. Um, even at Thomas Ward's that uh, I was at for quite a number of years, uh, we had s small excavators um, such as Atlas's and John Deere's, which Ward's were an agent for but all we used to do was hang a magnet on them and they used to clear the job up at the end you know picking up all the loose bits of metal that were that were left around the site so to have a machine that size come onto a job and create such mayhem in such a short period of time you know that really i think was the start for me to um to determine that you know the, this is a massive change that's coming along. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at the industry now with, with the use of technology, as you've mentioned, not just on plant, but, you know, the way that jobs are specified and the way that the, the, they're planned and, and scheduled and all that kind of thing. We're kind of in another revolution now, aren't we? The technological technological revolution. I mean, the very fact oh, that yeah. you over, over the internet at the moment, you know, that's, yeah, that's where yeah, we yeah. are now, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, um, <laughs> another little twist at this moment in time is um, with this COVID-19 pandemic, <clears throat> um, I've benefited from that in one respect, and that is I've managed to break the chains that were tying me to my office. Um, and for this last year, on quite a number of occasions, I've, I've managed to get my bum sat on the seat of one of our demolition machines on a fairly regular basis. Um, and it's, it's been a defining moment in my life, uh, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, and in fact, um, come Monday, 
I shall be operating our high reach machine on a site in Torquay. So, yeah, I'm going to enjoy it while I can. Oh, fair play to you, Terry. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, as it always is. Uh, I wish you every success with the book. Uh, I will add a link to um, to where people can buy it uh, once this uh, show is, is uploaded. Uh, but in the meantime, very best of luck with, with whatever you're doing in the future. And, um, well, keep in touch. And good luck with the book. Thanks very much, Mark. All the best. All the best. I really hope you enjoyed that chat with Dr. Demolition. Now, I consider myself quite fortunate. As I'd agreed to write the foreword for Terry Cornby's new book, I got to read it in draft form back in the summer of 2020. In fact, I worked with Terry to help bring the book to fruition. Well, I say that, but the book was pretty much ready for publication before I ever got to see it. In automotive terms, Terry had done all the necessary R&D. He'd gathered together the constituent parts, assembled the vehicle, and carried out countless test drives. All I did was to give it a wipe over the damp cloth to ensure that it was showroom ready when the official launch finally rolled around. All that being said, I've lived with the book for more than six months now. I read it in draft form, in revised draft form, and in final pre-print draft form as well. And yet when the paper copy arrived at Demolition News Towers over the Christmas break, I found myself reading it again. Bearing in mind that I know how it turns out, I think that speaks volumes for the book, for Terry's ability to tell a story, and for the honesty that lies at the heart of the book. If you don't know Terry Quamby, you'll feel like you do after reading his book. If you do know Terry, I can assure you that the book contains a huge number of surprises and revelations. The book is available exclusively through Amazon. You can find a link to the book in the description of this episode. Alternatively, head on over to demolitionnews.com and just search for Dr. Demolition. You'll find a link to the book there too. I really hope you enjoy the book as much as I have, and thanks for listening.